Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the Word. We'll open our Bibles to Romans chapter 9 verses 1. The Bible says in Romans chapter 9 verses 1, he says, um, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not, he said, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart for I could wish that myself were cast from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption, number one and the glory, two and the covenants, three and the giving of the law, four the service of God, five the promises, six whose are the fathers that means they have fathers before them Praise God. And of whom was concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God bless forever. Amen. The even concerning the flesh, Christ came. Hallelujah. Not as though the word of God had taken an effect, for they are not Israel, which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac, the Bible says, shall thy seed be called. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Now, Romans 9 begins at the sorrow of this apostolic grace, Paul. And he has a genuine, genuine, genuine sorrow for his brethren, the Jews, because they've missed a very integral part of godly relationship. They've missed a very important part of understanding God. They've missed a very great part of, of the gospel. And the Bible tells us, he says, I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. To the extent, he says, I wish I myself were a cast for the sake of my brethren, the Jews. Do you know what that means? It means I wish if I could take their place and die for them. If God had given Paul the guarantee, your life for theirs, Paul would have said, you know what? I'm ready to die for my own people that they'll be saved. Because he believed that they had missed a very important mark and without a certain understanding, they were going to lose Israel. And because of that then, it's almost as though the word of God in Israel was of none effect. It was not working. The word was there, but it was not with results. It wasn't with answers. It didn't come with a certain understanding. It was there. It was available to them. They were teaching. They were doing everything. But the word was of none effect to them. So he's like, okay, if the word is of none effect to them, then maybe let me be a cast off for their sake. At least God, promise me that if you take my life, you'll save Israel. He was ready to submit his life for Israel to be saved. That's how much Paul loved Israel. And yet, God didn't send him to Israel. He sent him to the Gentile. It's very ironic. Sometimes God sends you to the people you love less. Hallelujah. Because he loves them more. Praise God. Now, in the fourth verse, if you'll go with me to the message version of that, he says, I grew up with them. These are people he was raised with them. They had everything going on for them. They had a family, they had glory, they had covenants, they had revelation, they had worship, they had promises. And he says, to say nothing of being the race that produced the Messiah, the Christ who is God for everything. And he says, concerning the flesh, Christ came for them. I thank God that the scripture says, concerning the flesh, Christ came for them. Not concerning the spirit. Hello? If you're talking of concerning the spirit, Christ came for all of us. Right? He didn't say concerning the spirit, Christ came for them. 
The Bible says concerning the flesh, Christ came for them. You know what that means? That they have a literal connection to Christ through the flesh. By who? By Mary. You understand? Because it's Jewish culture that if a child is born by a Jewish woman, the Jews believe that that child is a Jew. They don't only uh, claim uh, the Jewishness from the paternal uh, lineage. They claim the Jewish blood even from the maternal lineage. The Jews believe that, for example, if you are a Ugandan man and then you marry a Jewish woman, to the Jews, that child is Jew. You understand? And if you are a Jew man and you marry uh, a Mnyankole woman, that child is also Jew. So for them, Jew is either man or woman that's Jew. If in any case you're connected to man or woman, for them, that is Jew. Because they believe that partly your, the blood is there. And if there's a part, even if you are 1% Jewish, to them you're Jewish. You understand what I'm saying? So, the Bible says, they were, um, according to the flesh, Christ came for them. Huh? Now, he continues to say that don't suppose for a moment though that God's word has malfunctioned in some way or any other. In other words, when you see the word of God not working in Israel or among the Jews, don't think that the word of God is malfunctioned or it's not working. No. The Bible says the problem goes back a long way. That means this thing you see where the word of God does not seem to have a certain effect among the Jews. The problem is old, it's old, it's very, very old. It goes way far. They missed a very important part. And be, sorry, because they missed a very important part, this thing has continued up to 2019 and could continue even up to the end of the world. So God is, Paul is trying to tell you that through this ignorance in them and, and something they misunderstood in the working of the spirit, that has had a literal effect on them up to now. He says, this problem goes back a long way. From the outset, he says, not all Israelites of the flesh were Israelites of the spirit. He's trying to say, some Israelites missed a certain point. They thought that because they're Israelites of the flesh, therefore they're Israelites of the spirit. They think that every promise written of in scripture, right? pertains to them because they're Israelites of the flesh. They missed a certain important point. Up to now, there are people who think that because they're Israelite by the flesh, therefore all the premises of the scriptures are, you know, are available to work in their lives. No, they're not. That is why Paul then said that if you observe their personal lives, you can see that the word of God looks like it's malfunctioned or it's not working in their lives. It doesn't mean that the word of God is void of its power or that it's not functioning. It only means that they have a wrong understanding of how the word of God works. God is not working on the condition. He's not working on the precept. He's not working on the understanding of being Israel of the flesh. He's not dealing with Israel of the flesh as of though for them to think that they're of a great advantage simply because they're Israelite. But some of them stayed locked up there. And Paul says it's a problem because many of them continue to think that they are of great advantage because they're Israelite. And then you tell me, well, but there are certain facts as well that sometimes propel us to think that there's something special about the Jews. And then you say, for example, it's true, they have said recently that almost 40% of the richest people on the face of the earth have Jewish blood. So is that a mistake that 40% of the richest people on the face of the earth have Jewish blood? No, it's not a mistake. But if you go and study the richest people who are Jewish, and then you go study their life, you're going to be amazed that they are not 40% richest people on the face of the earth because they're Jews, but they are so because they practice the principles of the scripture, even though many of them are detached from the person of God. And a principle is a principle. You following what I'm saying? For example, you're gonna say, oh, Bill Gates is the richest man in the whole world. Yes, Bill Gates is the richest man in the whole world, yes, but Bill Gates gives 40%. He's not even a tither. Go read about Project Pledge on the internet. Warren Buffett gives 40%. You go mention some of the richest men, they are all giving 
In fact, Bill Gates says by the time he's dead, he wants to give 75% of his wealth and more. He didn't want to leave a lot to even his own children because he feels he was blessed to be a blessing. Even though he's not speaking your tongues and going to your church, there's something embedded in the principles of the spirit that holds these people down into the place of the promise. Now, some of you think, like the Israelite also, there are things you think that because you're born again, certain things will automatically happen when you float the principles of the spirit. Give me a man who does the principles of the spirit and they're not an unbeliever and they'll be more successful than a man who is a believer and does not honor the principles of success and blessing. Not only financial, in every area, whether you're talking of relationships, whether you're talking of business, whether you're talking of career, whether you're talking of this, whether you're talking about that, whichever area and field of human life and existence, there are principles that govern your success in that area. And the challenge with many Christians is they throw away the principles and then retain the title and the book. Now, how can we teach you for three years and you still struggle to tithe? What's in your, who bewitched you? Who bewitched you? What's wrong with you? Why is it that they can teach you something and you know it is right to do and you don't do it? Some of you forget that Ishmael was a son of Abraham. Even though he was not the child of the promise, but he was a son of Abraham. And so when you see the Emirates and how they live, these are successful people, go read the books of the Emirates. I've taken time to read Al Maktoum's book. I've taken time to read that fellow. Every precept and principle of scripture in the Bible, that guy practices. Then you ask yourself, oh, why is Arab Emirates successful? Why is Oman successful? Why is Qatar successful? They do the principles of the spirit. You understand? If there is one thing the Israeli people have understood, they follow to the letter the biblical Judaism. Again, there's a difference between biblical Judaism and rabbinic Judaism. Those are two different things. Rabbinic Judaism comes in about 90 AD because then there was a disappearance of the biblical Judaism because the biblical Judaism was based on the foundation of the priests the temple and the sacrifices, the feast, the, you understand? The priests, the temple and the sacrifices, right? So by the time 70 AD, when Jerusalem is besieged and the temple is broken, all right? So there's the idea of priests is disappeared, the idea of temple is disappeared, the sacrifice idea is disappeared. By 90 AD, then they bring in what they call the rabbinical um, Judaism. And, and one of them is, 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 I can't connect a bit to the biblical uh, Judaism because in the end, that one reveals Christ. The rabbinical pulls, gives a certain understanding of Christ that is a bit not clear and a bit off from the way we understand scripture. But that's again, that's for people who want to dig deeper. For you who came because you need a job and a car, that's, that's not for you. <laughs> Praise God. So, I was saying that there was a misconception of the Jews to think, oh, because they have Jewish blood, therefore it's obvious that certain things will happen. And consequently, when Paul observes their lives day by one, day by day, he starts to realize, oh my God, even though they claim to have Christ with them, even though they claim to be God's people, quote in quote, there is something that is not working in their lives. The word of God is of none effect. And up to today, we still have people who think that way. Praise God. We have seen situations. We've seen uh, places. Even I've seen even uh, born again Christians, 2019, who have that mentality. That because Israel is a chosen people of God, therefore certain things have to work for them without them having a relationship and working according to the promise. He has said very clearly that He's not talking about Israelites of the flesh. He's talking about Israelites of the spirit, who are spiritual. So remove the spiritual from any Israelite, there will be no more men. It doesn't matter who they think they are. But you see, we've created many things, even the artifacts of the faith have been alluded to that. I gave people an example in the first service and I said I was chance to go to Israel on a state sponsorship by the government of Israel. And so I went there, we went to, I found people on the wailing walls and people were wailing. I also went to the wailing wall. I didn't go to wail. I went for another reason, praise God. 
But you see, there are people who think that by going to the Wailing Wall, somehow God will move in a special way. If I go to Israel, blessings will be, you understand? Eh? Why? Because they read, oh, blessed is he that blesses Israel. Are we talking of the flesh Israel or the spiritual Israel? Eh? Are we talking about Israel by the flesh or Israel by the spirit? Exactly. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Because if you're talking about Israel of the flesh, even Ishmael is a son of Abraham. Isn't it? So why do we think that the other one is and this one isn't? No, if you're talking of the flesh, right? Ishmael is also a what? A son of Abraham. That means also, go take a blessing to the Emiratis that you might be blessed because they are sons too of Abraham. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? But that's not so. He's talking about the Israel of the spirit. That means if a man, for example, is born again, that's an Israelite of the spirit. Bless them. I've busted the bubble. Praise God. So some people think that there's something more special when you go to Israel, more blessings will come to you. What's the difference between you and the Muslim who goes to Mecca for Hijjah and then he comes back a Haji and a Hajati? Praise. What's the difference between you and them? Because now you've zeroed God in a geographical location. God is everywhere and is in everybody who believes. Somebody shout hallelujah. I go to Israel. I would love to go to Israel again. But we go there in the revelation of this is the mother of us all. This is where we come from. It's beautiful to see the Bible come alive. And they tell you that's where Jesus stepped. That was where Mary lived. That, we, that is where Jesus was buried. That is the mountain was, he was crucified. And then you see biblical stories come to life where Goliath, David and Goliath fought. And then you see they show you the valley of Kidrone. Then you see all of those things. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's beautiful because you, 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 it's beautiful when the Bible becomes alive. It's the only reason I tell people to go to Israel because the Bible becomes alive for you. Every place you ask of, it's there. You get it? It's there. But then me, when I went there, the Catholic church built a place where they believe Mary lived, eh? Mary's grotto or something. It is so sacred. People reason and say, uh, you understand? You find people say, uh, when you enter, you have to remove your hat, okay, because you're entering where? You're following what I'm saying. So I'm not saying that I'm against Israel or the blessing of the nation of Israel. For me, even if I bless the nation of Israel, I have sown a seed in the nation of Israel, but I've not sowed it there after the Israel of the flesh. I've sown it there after the Israel of the spirit because it's the preservation of our posterity. My father Abraham comes from there. That's all. That's all. Praise God. So there's a problem came through, Right? And so he says it become from the onset where Israel of the flesh could not separate itself from Israel of the spirit and it assumed that because it was Israel of the flesh, therefore it was Israel of the spirit. Praise God. But then he continues to say, verse 7. He says, it wasn't Abraham's spam that gave identity here. He says, but God's promise is what gave identity and he says he put it this way he says your family will be defined by Isaac he's saying in Isaac shall your seed be called and Israel missed that point and then he continues in the eighth verse and says and that means Israelite identity was never racially determined by sexual transmission but it was God determined by faith Hallelujah. By faith, by promise. And he continues to say that, remember that promise. We say, when I return next year at this time, Sarah shall have a child. That when God promises, he says that this identity is not defined by, by genes and hereditary issues and man meeting woman and, you know, sexual transmitted. No, it is not defined by man coming together with man. No, it is determined by the promise that I made to Sarah. Why? Because if you think biologically, there was no way Sarah would be able to give birth to a child at that age. Are you following what I'm trying to say? So he's saying here, I'm not talking about you getting the promise and identity of the spirit to draw it on sexual transmission to say, oh, because Abraham knew Sarah sexually, therefore 
I am doing that because of that to say that every flesh that comes out of Abraham is called. No, he said, I have come to call all your seed in Isaac. Why? Because Isaac comes with a unique preposition. How? Firstly, look at Sarah's womb. That womb was too old to hold a child. That means Isaac was a miracle baby. Are you hearing what I'm trying to tell you? Abraham was old too. But maybe he was able, but Sarah's womb was not able. That is why when Paul goes to Hebrews to define that experience, he says, by faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and it was delivered of her a child. He gave a difference between the seed and the child. He said there was a necessity of her conceiving a certain strength to receive child. This was because of the promise. This was not because of the natural order of a man knowing a woman to produce a child. So don't even start to define the lineage and the seed of Abraham best on the physical. If you go physical, then Ishmael came first. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something God comes through to say, okay, in the simplest terms possible, he's not relating to define the identity of Israel as a spiritual people and people who are inherit the covenants and move in the power of God based on the fact that they are children of Abraham by the flesh. But it is so because there was a child of the promise called Isaac. And he says, in this kind of way is how I'll call your generation. It is how I'll call your seed. People who don't come by will or flesh of, or the will of man, but they come by reason of the promise. It's, they are not because they are children of so and so, but they are because I say it. They are not because they are connected to so and so. No, they are because I spoke and said out of your children, this shall be your seed, shall be called. And at this appointed time, Sarah shall have a child. So it's not in the power of the connections. It's in the power of the word I spoke and promised to fulfill. So he's saying, your generation should not miss this because Israel missed this. They missed that God is not dealing with them according to the lineage of Abraham in the flesh. He's dealing with them according to the anointing that came with the promise that was spoken. I'm trying to say, you might be here and you come from a poor family. That's okay. But you might also be here and you come from a rich family. And you think that because you come from a rich family, therefore you're more advantaged. Oh, the word of God is of none effect to you. Why? Because you're not of advantage because you come from a rich family. You're not of advantage because you come from a connected family. You're not of advantage because you come from one tribe. You're not of advantage because you carry a different skin. You're not of advantage because you, you, you come from a different lineage. You don't, you're not of advantage because you come from a certain ethnicity. You are of advantage because you get a hold of the promise. That is the thing that does not respect whether you're Jew, whether you're Gentile, whether you're slave whether you're free, whether you're a child of a poor man, whether you're a daughter of a rich man, whether you're from the north of Uganda, whether you're from the south, whether you're from South Sudan, whether you're from Burundi, whether you're from Rwanda or from Ethiopia, it does not matter how you reached here. That is not what qualifies you before God. What qualifies you before God is because you obtain the promise of God concerning your life through faith. Somebody said hallelujah. That's what qualifies you. It's not in what you have done. It's not in how many things you know. It's not because, oh, your family members are political or because you're connected to the political family. Listen, you don't need to be connected to a political family. You just, because politics is here today and it's gone tomorrow. You just need to be connected to a divine, godly family through faith. You just need the contact of the creator of heaven and that the Alpha and the Omega. The, that's why he says, in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. The most important thing is faith in the promise. If he said, I will make you successful, get a hold on that. Don't say, I'm a success because I do this, because I'm connected here, because I... No, 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 no. Listen, familiarity breeds contempt. Breeds contempt. And there are many people who don't understand how the anointing and the power of God works. 
And because of familiarity, you stay normal people. You stay normal people. You stay normal people. Jude and James were brothers of Jesus. But you read Jude chapter 1 and see how Jude introduces himself. Jude says, let's read one, two, three, let's go. He says, Jude, comma, uh the servant of Jesus Christ, comma, and the brother of James. But he was a brother of Jesus. He didn't say, I am Jude, comma, the brother of Jesus Christ. Yet he was a brother of Jesus. They came from the same womb. They suckled the same breast. But he, he did not relate with Jesus on a familiar front of, oh, you know, that's my brother. That's my brother. No. Listen, he might be your brother according to the flesh, but when it comes to the appointment of God and the anointing on his life, please don't deal with him as your brother. Otherwise, you'll miss out on the word of God concerning your life. Familiarity breeds contempt. Go to James. James says, I am a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, he says greetings. He doesn't say, I am the brother. But yet he came from the same womb. Because he knows that that is not what gives him proximity to the anointing. It is not the thing that qualifies them to the graces of the spirit. It is not the connection that he came from the same womb with the mother. Jesus asked them, who is my brother? Except he who does the will of God. Familiarity breeds contempt. Some of you, maybe you don't even receive from me because you're my friend. You're just my friend. So you forget the anointing on the man of God. Don't deal with, yes, these pastors might laugh with you and send you messages and then you become close. But even if, when you become close to them, take that as an advantage to draw from them spiritually. Are you hearing me? Don't think that you're close to me because you're my friend. We share our text messages. We laugh a lot. We miss over tea. Therefore, that means that you think that we are equals. Because some people in that familiarity, you miss out. And some of you are stuck for the same reason. Why? Because Grace Lubega is the guy you just play basketball with. Pastor Zach is just the guy you play basketball with. You can foul him, talk to him, back as you want, do this to him. No. These are men God anointed. Regard not men after the flesh. Are you hearing me? There are people who don't know how to handle relationships with anointed people. Get closer to somebody only to benefit from them spiritually. But if you think that by that friendship you're losing the spiritual, then it's so sad that you'll hang around a spiritual man and your life will start taking a downward spiral because God is looking at you like that Israelite who thinks that because Christ is connected them to the flesh, therefore they are entitled to the promises of God. Proximity is not access. That's why I tell people, if you feel that by being so near to a man of God, you will be stumbled from receiving from him spiritually, you'd rather keep the distance. Me, I will understand if you don't send the message. But don't be disconnected to the things of the spirit because you're familiar. Because you're familiar. You understand? Some of you don't know how to handle relationships with men of God or women of God. Because, you know, some people even abuse love when it comes to them. Because, you see, some men of God prefer you. They are for us. We are here. Don't talk to us. Don't laugh with us. I'm not your friend. I'm not yours. Don't joke with me. You understand? It's the only way some people appreciate. And then the man enters like, uh, you know, and then he goes out like, you understand? Don't touch me. Don't talk to me. You understand? Oh, man of God. So by the time you access him, the anointing is so special. No, 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 no. That's not how God has called us to live and we'll never be like that. I joke with these men of God. I love with them. But I own and respect the anointing of God upon their lives. These men of God, they laugh with me. We play basketball together. We diss each other, but they respect what's upon me. You understand? Some of you, there are people I look at and I feel the reason why their lives is stuck is they don't know how to deal with anointed men. Because when the friendship comes, you abuse it. You think you're equal. You're not. We are anointed. We are anointed. We are anointed. And God has given us great responsibility. I'm not telling you to scare you. Please don't bypass me and say, Mama is anointed. No, 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 no. But it is so. It is so. Praise God. That is why, that's why I tell people that if, if, it's, 
if you, if you have sat under me for a certain time, it will be hard for you to listen to a man less. It will be so hard. Unless you have not yet known the difference. You know, there are also people who can sit in the church and they look like they understand the message, but they don't. They can be there, you think they understand it, they even scream, they even get slain. But after some time, you wear them and realize, mm, this one didn't understand it. You understand? If you get to a point where you have to leave, go to someone higher. But if you go to anybody lower than me, if the anointing on me can't change you, no man under me can change you. It can't happen. Don't lie to yourself. You can't, even if you do what? No man below the glory and anointing on my life can help you. Why? Because if bigger oil can't help you, if bigger oil can't change your character, are you hearing me? If bigger oil can't change your moral life, if bigger oil can't provoke you, you smaller oil will. Smaller oil will. Oh no. Or oh, some of, there are also those who don't know what an anointing is, so they can't tell the difference. <laughs> you can think, but this one, I think, uh, Kari, we will tell by your fruits whether you'll become better or what? Or less. Something has to change about you when you sit under a certain anointing. Something has to change about you when you serve a certain oil. Praise God. And if a bigger thing can't change, a smaller one can't. Praise God. So that is why some of you, it's harder to listen to many people when you listen to a certain anointing. It's not that you're bad people, no, but you've been introduced to a certain level. Because if somebody speaks lower, you will sit there and listen, but something will tell you. <laughs> you understand? Eh? That's why me, I don't refuse my people to visit some fellowships. No, I let them go. This is the one who comes back and says, I went there twice in Etigan. I know why it refused. <laughs> I know why it refused. Somebody has to speak deeper. Somebody has to speak deeper. Why? Because you've been introduced to something deeper. I'm not boasting. I'm testifying. That's the truth. Praise God. That's the truth. I know what's upon me. By the grace of God, I know what he called me to do. Somebody shout hallelujah. So, God is trying to tell them, look, this thing is not about your connections, your lineage in the flesh. No, this thing is based on I spoke a word and I made a promise. And if I promised, that's the most important part. So, that's why I say if I have to define the lineage of Abraham, your lineage, Abraham, in Isaac shall your seed be called, not even in you, Abraham. It will be called in the way where you can see that it's not human effort. Where you can see that it is beyond the parallels of men. It is beyond, it transcends the interpretation of men. This is God himself entering an old womb and creating a story there. And he says, if anybody should be called after this, they should be called after that way. I don't respect order of ranks. I don't respect order of age. I don't respect order of education. I don't respect how many connections. I don't respect who is stronger. I don't respect the, 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 who is wiser, who is more intelligent. Mine, it's in the order of the spirit according to how a man gives himself to the promise. If I have spoken it, it is so. Trust me more on my word than anything you claim will bring you success and results. Somebody shout hallelujah. He goes from Isaac, right? And then he says, he says, and that's not the only time. He says, he also goes to Rebecca. He says, a promise was made that took priority over the genetics. He brought another promise that took priority over the genetics. He says, when she became pregnant by one of her kind ancestor, Isaac, the Bible says, and her babies were still innocent into a womb, incapable of good or bad. She received a special assurance and said, uh, 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 and what God did in this case made it perfectly plain that his purpose is not a hit or miss thing dependent on what we do or don't do but a sure determination sorry a sure thing determined by his decision flowing steadily from his word his initiative and the Bible says God told Rebecca the firstborn of the twins shall what will take second place this is God he said the firstborn will take second place whether the firstborn prays or first God has spoken. He's again saying that this goes beyond genetics. Genetics says that the firstborn takes what? Precedence. But here he said that the first shall serve the last. 
And that is where the epigram is stuck in saying that I have loved Jacob and I have hated Esau. God doesn't mean to say that I hate Esau, but I, had, I love Jacob. He's literally saying that I preferred the younger from the older. That's my choice. Not only that, Paul ended there, but I'll go deeper. Paul even went into the place, I mean, God even went beyond Rebekah and Isaac and went into the lineage of Jacob. When Jacob had children and Joseph brought Ephraim and Manasseh, the elder and the younger, what did God do? Through Isaac, through Jacob, right? Jacob was the father of Joseph, right? He closes his eyes, right? The Bible says his eyes were dim of sight. Eh? And then they bring Ephraim and Manasseh, the children of Joseph, for him to bless. And the left was to be on the younger son and the right on the older son. And what does the man do? He crosses the hands. My father, isn't it, you know, uh, principle that the older one should have the right hand? He said, my son, Chite, I know what I'm doing. He blessed the younger to be better than the one of the older because God does not appoint according to the flesh. He does not appoint according to the order of birth. He does not appoint according to the order of education and the schools you went to. He does not appoint according to the, no, 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 get this. He appoints according to his promise and his word. Praise God. And that's where now the problem comes through. And I've seen in many Christians. Verses 14. Some people say God is unfair. Mm-hmm. So some will say, but that's not fair. Because you woke up one day and said that this guy should be greater than the other. So what, has, what did Esau do for you to hate him? What did Esau do for you to hate him? So if Esau has done nothing, He's even the hard worker in the first place. Why does Jacob come and take the guy's birthright? Yet Esau was a hard worker. You're not fair. You're not fair. You're not fair, God. But you see, what you don't understand, this is clay questioning a porter. <laughs> because sometimes before you even judge matters, first know where you are. Are you hearing me? Because... God, the Bible says, he's the next verse, the next verse says that God told Moses, I am in charge of mercy and I'm in charge of compassion. So don't show me that for you, you're more compassionate and merciful enough to know who I should favor and how I should equally favor or not favor the other. Who, who are you? Are you hearing me? He says, compassion doesn't originate in our bleeding hearts or moral sweat. Even that little thing you're thinking of, God is unfair. He gave you the mind to think. He could have created you without that cathode. So where are you judging God from again? Uh -huh. You see, God knows people more than you do. So don't assume that you, you understand more than God who created them the way he created them. Are you following me? God knows people more than you do. He, he is in their fiber. You don't know them. For you, you have an assumption of what you think they are. God knows man. He is the master of mercy and compassion. Don't think that you're more compassionate and merciful than God. Praise God. Now, the Bible says in 17, same point was made when God said to Pharaoh, I picture as a bit player in this drum of my salvation power. So God, you used the man, you used him just like a player in your salvation life. Well, do you know the end of that man? Do you know the end of Pharaoh? Are you sure he's not in heaven? Stop judging on your level of understanding. I told people, oh, God said I have loved Jacob and I've hated Esau. Okay, let us look at the practical sense of the man God loved most. Whose children were taken in, in exile in Egypt? Were they children of Esau, the one he hated, or children of Jacob, the one he loved? Can you tell the children of Jacob that God loves Jacob more than Esau? Eh? When the children of Jacob came through, they were taken into exile. Hundreds of years, their sons and daughters became slaves to Pharaoh. They built Egypt with their own hands. 
their children suffered. Yes, Joseph was raised. But the Bible says, but a generation came that knew not Joseph. And a king came that knew not Joseph, neither the works of Israel. And guess what? The children of Israel became slaves. The children of Jacob became slaves in Egypt for hundreds and hundreds of years. And guess what? While they were still slaves, the children of Edom, Esau, were successful every other day. In fact, if you read the story before that, when Jacob met Esau to make peace, Jacob had come with animals and this, and he was thinking, maybe because my brother God wasn't with and he was with me, therefore he must be a poor man. What did Esau tell him? Esau told him, take all your stuff because I have more. By the time Esau met with Jacob, Esau had more than Jacob had. Yes, Jacob was loved and Esau was hated. The word there, hate, is not your definition of hate. God didn't have hate. He, he cannot hate his creature. He only said, I preferred the call on Jacob than what was an Esau. I preferred to work on the, with the lineage of Jacob. I did not prefer to work with the lineage of Esau. I preferred to work more with Joseph's, Jacob's lineage than the, 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 the lineage of Esau. But notwithstanding, Esau became blessed. In fact, the scriptures are clear. When the children of Israel are released from Egypt and they come from, the, from Egypt with nothing, literally, the scriptures tell you they dwelt around Mount Seir for 38 years. The 38 years of the 40 years they spent in the wilderness, they were around Mount Seir. And where was Mount Seir? In the Edomite kingdom. And what is Edom? Edom are the children of Esau. That means the children of Esau gave them food, bread, and water for 38 years. These ones of the promise. What are you talking about? What are you talking about then? Are you seeing what I'm trying to tell you? So, why is Esau having more at the time when they meet Jacob? You go to Saudi Arabia and see how the Emiratis live. Those are sons of Ishmael. Are they poorer than the Jews of the flesh, the sons of Jacob? No, the Emiratis are richer. They're healthier. Principles. That's why I tell people, walk in the promise of Jacob. Embrace the principles of Esau. He was a hard worker. It does not matter whether you're born again. Young men, learn to work hard. Learn to exude excellence and prudence in the things that you do. Give diligence to your work. I'm a preacher. I can't just come and give you, you know, just anything I want. I can just sleep all through. No, but I have to invest time and pray and seek the Lord because I need to deliver a certain way. It, I'm not just going to be Apostle Grace because I'm according to the promise. No. I also submit myself to the principles of Esau. I learn to work hard too. I commit myself. I'm a giver. I give 70%. I'm not saying that to boast. I'm only trying to tell you that don't be funny. Don't think that we are just, eh, because me, I'm under grace, I don't need to do it. Mama, sit. You start to look funny under grace. The word of God will malfunction when you're under grace. Grace is divine empowerment to do. It's not divine silliness and passiveness and indifference. Just sit there and just be there. Me, I'm under grace. I don't need to go to job. I'm under grace. Carry, wait for money. Huh? No, 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 no. That's not how God has called us to be. Don't think that everything just comes and then you wake up and then you're flying in the air like Mary Poppins and you know everything you want to manifest. manifest. <laughs> Understand how the principles work. That is why now we see Jacob's children going in bondage even when they're the seed of the promise. And Esau's sons becoming successful. The Edomites never sat under any man. They were not ruled by any man. And up to present day, we see Esau's sons successful more than the sons of Jacob because they are indifferent to the promise. And when you become born again, you become a child of the promise. And then many of you stay without the understanding. That's the challenge we have in the Christian faith. That's what Paul called the problem. It began long ago. Praise God. It began what? Long ago. Praise God. So he asks them, so... All we are saying is that God has the first word in initiating the action in which we play. Praise God. Our part, good or evil. But that does not define our end. 
God does not intend that any man perish. You know, some people say, I think God is the one who created Hitler that way. No, that's not God. That's not God. Somebody shout hallelujah. So, he says, are you going to object? So how can God blame us for anything since he's in charge of everything? If the big decisions are already made, what say do we have in it? You know, there are also people who are like that who think, okay, the sovereignty of God eh, is to the intent that it determines eh, my, other, my bad part. Therefore, if I'm bad, so what is the point of changing me? If that guy is good, it is because God made him that way. And if I'm bad, it's because God made me this way. So let me enjoy my badness. No. That's thinking like clay. That's, your head is full of clay. Praise God. Think deeper than that. Somebody shout hallelujah. There are people who might be funny, but they're just a work in progress. The end of their life will not be there. Somehow God has a plan for the redemption of every man. The only problem is men at one particular point reject that redemption. Praise God. Then he says, who in the world do you think you are to second guess God? Do you for one moment suppose as any of us enough to call God into question? Clay doesn't talk back to the fingers that molded saying, why did you shape me like this? Isn't it obvious that a potter has a perfect right to shape one lamp of clay into a vase of holding flowers and another into a, cook, a pot of cooking beans? And then some people say, ah, me, I'm not a pot. <laughs> no, no, no. Here he's talking about function. He's not necessarily saying... That one is more beautiful than the other because, listen, without pots of food, it doesn't matter whether you have a vase of flour, you can die of hunger. Hello? It's function. Praise God. It's function. Somebody say, hallelujah. If God needs one uh, style of pottery, especially designed to show his anger, displeasure, and another carefully crafted to show his glorious goodness, isn't that all right? So he's trying to say that there's some that look like they're objects through which he wants to show his anger. But that does not mean that the end is their destruction. That's why I said, who told you that Pharaoh is in hell? That's why I told people, heaven will surprise people. The people you find there and say, but this guy was so bad, what is he doing here? And then you find a certain guy, say, hey, but Bambi, that guy was good. He went to hell, what? But he was a bishop. What? He was an apostle. He was a chief prophet. He was, but that evangelist wants souls. You mean, ooh, you understand? Because, <laughs> are you following what I'm saying? Because you don't know people, but God does. Tell your neighbor he does. Praise God. So, that is why he says, this either happens both to the Jews and to the Gentiles too. And that is why Hosea put it well in 25 and says, I'll call nobodies and make them somebodies. Those are Gentiles. You and I, black skin. He said, I'll call nobodies. Because back in the day, the nobodies were Gentiles. We were nobodies. Hallelujah. He says, he will call nobodies and he will call them somebodies. That is the grace that redeems the Gentile. That's why I don't understand the Gentile that goes back to the law of the Jew. I don't get it. I'm yet to understand it. That is the thing that opens the door for you and I to be accepted by God. And the Bible says he provoked Israel to jealousy. He provoked them to jealousy. He got to a point where they started to look at us Gentiles and they admired us. Why? Because for us, we got a hold of the promise. We were not claiming the fleshly connection. And we started to produce more results than them that were claiming fleshly connections because they don't know God's point was not on the fleshly line. He was on the connection line. That is why there are people who look like they're doing everything right in God and every day it is evident that God is not with them. But this man is good. He does this. He does that. He serves. He's a good man. He's a good pastor. Why isn't this church growing? Because... Maybe as he continues to serve God according to the promise of God made upon his life and the grace operating on his life, at one particular point, he snaps out of that reality and then he gets into the thinking that this is his work, this is his mind, this is his ability, this is his wisdom, this is his connect, how he does it, these are the connections he has, and then he loses his sight from what God is doing and he disconnects. And that's why Jesus Christ, the same redemptive power, he becomes a stumbling block 
Praise God. So he says through Hosea, he says, I will call a people that are not a people and they become my beloved. In that place, he says, you are nobody, but we are calling you God's children. Isaiah maintains this same self-emphasis. He says, if each grain of sand and seashore were numbered and the sum label chosen of God, there would be numbers still, but not names. He says, salvation comes through personal selection. God doesn't count us. He calls us by name. Arithmetics is not his focus. He wants everyone personally to relate with you as a child of the promise. Somebody shout hallelujah. And Isaiah looked ahead and spoken the truth. If our powerful God had not provided us a legacy of living children, we'd have ended up like ghost towns, like Sodom and Gomorrah. And so he goes and says, How the, what then is the sum of this? Verses 20, 30. He says, How, what is the sum of this? If you have not been understanding my point, here is the point. You probably got lost in the middle and said, Oh, what is he saying? Now, if you didn't get it, this is the point. The sum of it all. He's saying, all those who didn't seem interested in what God was doing actually embraced what God was doing as he straightened out their lives. Why? Uh-huh. And Israel, who seemed so interested in reading and talking about God and what he was doing, missed it. Why? How could they miss it? Because instead of trusting God, they took over. The Bible says they were so absorbed in what they themselves were doing and they were so absorbed in their God projects that they did notice God right in front of them like a huge rock in the middle of the road and so they stumbled into him and went sprawling. And the next verse says, Isaiah again gives us the metaphor for pulling this together. He says, believe me friends, all I want for Israel... Uh, 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 uh. Isaiah gives us the metaphor for pulling this together. Careful, he says... You've missed the line. He says, I've put a huge stone on the road to the Mount Zion. He says, a stone you can't get around, but the stone is me. He says, if you're looking for me, you'll find me on the way, not in the way. Why is he saying that? Why does Christ become a stumbling block? When men disconnect from what he's doing to his grace and promises, and then start looking onto their actions of what they did and what they did to get there, the things they did. Even when you say, I do the principles, you do them by grace. So if somebody is not yet doing the same principles that you're doing, don't claim that you're better than them. Don't claim that because one sister is still weak or one brother is still in one, weak in one way, for you, you're better than them enough to judge them. No. Why? Because even you who is walking right and doing the principles of the spirit, you're doing them by faith. And so when you get up there, you don't claim and say, you know, I did this because I observed the principles. No, you can only observe them because grace was given you. Don't judge a man who has not yet walked in the same grace. So, Israel missed it. Why? Because as they continued doing things and then proving that they are the ones who are doing it and going into their, you know, self-righteousness and vain glory. Oh, I'm the one who did this. This ministry wouldn't have been here if it wasn't for me to do this. If I need to do that, I did this and I did that. God started to walk off them slowly and started to look for people who are doing nothing. And then he anointed them. Why? Because God loves to work with men who know that without him they are nothing. God loves to work with men who at every level and step of their story, they'll still point to his saving power, his grace, and his faithfulness in the fulfillment of his promise. But when you get so big and then success comes around and then you say, you know, my wisdom got me there. My, my, my diligence got me there. It's not yours. It's him working through you, both to will and to do according to your good pleasure. And what was supposed to be a stone, a rock, they would find on their way Christ to move with as they're following him. He became a stumbling block. That's what Isaiah is saying. So he says, you'll find me on the way, not in the way. Now for the Israelites, they find him in the way and what was supposed to be a way for them to go through, he became a stumbling block for them to fall. In other words, they fell under the same Christ that was supposed to make them stand because at one particular point, they thought they were standing and doing by their own works and ability. Christ is a stumbling block to people who don't understand that God works through the fulfillment of his promise and the grace. Every time they go into the fulfillment of the law and their own works, the same God who should help them departs from helping them. He doesn't leave them, but his power is short-circuited and his word malfunctions. Are you getting the point? The point is, 
always stay in the grace of God and claim nothing except his promises. You're not going to be a success and you're not a success because of anything that you've done. But it's all he's done and by his grace he has worked through you. And because of the promise he said, I will do this. The Bible calls it the immutability of his counsel. Hebrews chapter 6. Of which it is impossible for God to lie. If he said, I have made you a success, forget that you're a daughter of a rich man. Forget that you're a son of a political figure. Forget that you're connected to so and so. If he says, I will make you wise, forget that your whole family was smart and your, your relatives were A students. He has spoken it and that's just about it. He shall fulfill it. Give the Lord a mighty help of praise. Don't try to claim glory in your own ability and strength. Don't. 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 Praise God. I want to pray with you. Just open your mouth and speak to God. Because he promised. Tell him God, because you promised I'm a success. Because you promised I'm healthy. Because you promised I am wiser because you promised I'm shining brighter because you promised I will not fail in this life because you promised my marriage will not fail because you promised my children will not fail because you promised my education will not promise will not fail because you promised talk to God talk to God talk to God talk to God because this promise never fails Talk to God. Talk to God. Talk to God. The Bible says of all the promises in God, a year and a man to the glory of the Father. Talk to God. your hands I want to confess some words upon your life I decree and I declare that the promises of God upon your life are yea and amen to the glory of the Father that your sickness is healed that you're free in the name of Jesus that God will keep you far from disease that he'll increase you that he multiplies you that he expands and increases everything you touch that your family is blessed that your children are blessed that everything you touch is blessed that the star is shining bright on your life and that his glory is evident on your spirit that his peace is on your borders and he shines on you in everything and everywhere that you go I decree that greatness is yours that you shall eat of all the good of the land and that the people of this world will call you blessed your names shall be known in Jesus name say amen if you're here and you have heard the gospel and you say, you know, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I feel that I've been working in my own strength, in my own ability, in my own wisdom. But tonight I want to embrace the promise of the calling that we have in Christ, which is by only and only faith in him. And I want to receive that grace tonight. Say this word. Say, Jesus, tonight I have heard. Say your word. Tell him, Jesus, tonight I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I'm born again. I believe that you shed your blood for my sins and was raised for my glory. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. 
For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest. Thank you.